Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Podcast. I'm Randall James, and I welcome you to our new Archer D&D uh, themed game. Uh, with me is Lana! I- I'm going to say that that's me this time, uh, so hi, good evening. <laughs> Isn't Lana your cat's name? Lana is also my cat's name, but no, Lana's in Archer. It was a whole thing I was going to do. Anyway, uh, uh, Tyler Camstrip to whatever. Hi, everybody. I'm not a cat. Oh, Patreon folks are going to enjoy that one. <laughs> no, I think everybody's going to enjoy that one. That's staying in. Uh, and Random Pal, of course, already spoke up earlier. Random Pal is not, in fact, Lana. He's also not a cat, and he's with us. Howdy. All right, Tyler, what are we going to do today? Well, today we're going to talk about adapting media to a tabletop RPG. So this is kind of a subject that gets discussed a lot in various online discussion forums. You will encounter some exciting piece of popular media and say, hey, how do I do this as a tabletop RPG? And very frequently, like, hey, how do I make this Dungeons & Dragons? And we're going to explore kind of a how-to on how to do those things, and then we're going to look at some fun examples. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. And for folks who, like, they've heard of Dungeons and & Dragons, and they watch, you know, a fantasy uh, film, or they read a novel, or they play a game, they're like, I want to do that, but I want to do that with my friends instead of alone. The question feels natural, right? Like, how do I take this rule set that I have heard of? Because for a lot of folks, I feel like they don't know other games exist. I think I was definitely in that camp. Like, yeah, there's Dungeons and Dragons and nothing else exists. That's it. That's the end of it. I didn't realize that there were different editions, you know, at one point in my life. Like, just the D&D, and it's been there for 40 years. Yeah. Boy, I, I'm just thinking, like, if 40 years ago's D&D was still what we were all playing today. Woof. Oh, God, no. <laughs> no. No, no more lookup tables, please. Yeah, that that is pretty common. A lot of people... Dungeons and Dragons is your first RPG. For a lot of people, Dungeons and Dragons is your last RPG too. It may be just the one game you play for your entire life and you never feel the need to branch out. And there's a lot of merit to branching out and playing every other RPG. There was but... a brief moment where I thought what you meant is uh, D&D kills them, <laughs> and so I'm glad you clarified. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> like uh, I, I have been playing tabletop RPGs for 20 years now, and probably like 99% of that game time has been Dungeons and Dragons of some variety. And I can promise Tyler Kempstra is still alive. <laughs> if there was ever going to be a Demi Lich bringing you a podcast, it's RPG Bot. <laughs> uh, that's that's the retirement plan, guys. Just turn into a Demi Lich and continue the podcast. <laughs> Good. Good. So uh, I want to talk about some examples. Video games are very frequently what I see brought up the most because there's so much overlap between tabletop gamers and video gamers. Like I, you know, I've got Steam loaded up on the machine that I'm using to record this podcast. Definitely overlap there. It's not quite a circle, but it's a very small Venn diagram. So a lot of times a new video game will come out and people look at the video game and say, hey, there's something about this that really, really catches my attention, and I want to bring this to the tabletop somehow. So popular examples, 
Dark Souls is still like still a huge point of discussion and a lot of people are looking for ways to adapt it. Darkest Dungeon, every time it gets a major update or whatever, people come back and they're like, hey, I want to make Dark- Darkest Dungeon into a D&D game. The Elder Scrolls series, every time there's a new game that comes out or every time Skyrim releases again. <laughs> right in the heart. <laughs> yeah. Or I suppose uh, in the knee. Lord of the Rings is a classic. There's been various adaptations of the Lord of the Rings setting into D&D and The Witcher, another popular one. I haven't seen The Wheel of Time discussed, but I'm basically just waiting at this point for people to say, hey, I watched The Wheel of Time. I would like to do that as D&D now. Sometimes you do see some crazier ones out there, like uh, uh, Doom, personal favorite of mine, just trying to trying to make Doom fit into D&D. We'll get there someday. It's interesting that you mentioned, like, that these systems are things that people want to bring in, and, and uh, there's a, a really kind of neat segue here. So you look at all of these things, and I would assume that it is also a very small Venn diagram, again, not a circle, but a, a very small Venn diagram of people who are playing role-playing games for fun and people who grew up reading a lot of fantasy and sci-fi. Um, and I, I know that, for me personally, one of the things that I always really enjoyed whenever I approached some new fantasy setting was learning the magic system. That was one of the big things that actually drew me to one of my favorite series as a YA reader, the um, Garth Nix, Sabriel, Lyriel, Abhorson series. Just that way that magic was done and necromancy in particular, very cool. But what that really hits on, and particularly as you look at all of these things, the vast majority of the things that Tyler talked about a moment ago, they're all functionally the same setting. They're a kind of grim mid to high magic fantasy trope setting. So the real thing to ask yourself as you're trying to do this is why, what about that setting do you actually want to play? Is it a mechanic? Is it a set of characters that you want to import? Is it, the world itself because you know something about the the world is very cool and there's no wrong answer here if i wanted to bring the magic system in from uh the sabriel series then great and and you know a place to go from there if you want to bring from lord of the rings tolkien's truly impressive quantity of world history and lore which is all really good then Go for it. You know, there's a lot of reasons why you could want to do this. I I think that's a great point to make. There's the world. And so in your open world RPGs, or I should say computer RPGs, that open world environment can be really interesting. And you can think about, like, what adventure would I put in this setting? How would a group of tabletop adventures interact with the general mythos of what is happening to include maybe even the adventure being played in the game? And, And I want to come back to that in a second. Uh, you bring up what I'll call like the, the hard magic systems where there is an understanding of what magic is. And, you know, Lord of the Rings is the farthest away from this where I'm actually still, it isn't clear to me who has the power to use any magic when, where, or what, and why. And like, why couldn't we solve half these problems with your magic, kind sir, uh, instead of tossing tiny people into blizzards? That's my <laughs> feeling on it. Versus you take that all the way to... You know, something like uh, Elder Scrolls, it's it's pretty obvious, right? You eat a wheel of cheese, and then you cast the magic, and, and we're done. You know, The Witcher, the, there's rules for it, and you can, I, I, I think there's something there. So I say this to say, like, you could bring in the mechanics and say, I think the mechanics for how we handle fighting or how we handle magic, um, how we handle boosting our powers by taking potions and this sort of thing is interesting. The thing that I think is hardest and I think is worth maybe poking at is in film, when you see characters in an adventure having an adventure, and you say to yourself, I want to recreate that adventure as part of a tabletop experience. Again, I'll go back to Lord of the Rings, and I'll say, if, if you have two characters and they want to play as Frodo and Sam climbing Mount Doom to, to throw the ring in, there's only so many ways I feel like to tell that story, and it feels restricting. Uh, what do you guys think? I definitely agree. There's only so many times you can tell the story of two guys going on a walk 
there's this exercise i think it came out of amazon actually like amazon software development development people so it's the five whys basically you ask you ask someone why it's, it's toyota times. actually is it toyota thank you it's so, a toyota thing yeah yeah so you ask someone why five times like why do you want to play frodo and sam you say because i like the idea of two people going on an adventure together and going through hardships and you say okay why do you like that and you keep going and like every time you ask why you get finer and finer detail and about by the time you ask the fifth time you'll have a good sense of exactly what you're looking to replicate from that experience and that that central concept of exactly what you're trying to replicate is what you should use to move forward yeah, I think I'm 100% with you. And I'll say even here, like, the second why to me is actually, why are Sam and Frodo the right characters to bring you that experience? That's a good question, yeah. You know, because you could have other adventures and you could, you could have an experience in that world. Why is the adventure that we've already seen take place the, the right adventure? But taking a step back, there's a rich amount of things that you could try to accomplish. There were, uh, famously, a lot of other rings, What's happening with those? What's the history? Um, some of this is filled in. Some of it's available. You could treat that as like the basis for the mythology. But at that point, it's your game. Go nuts. Go have fun. This is super off. T- oh, sorry. Super off topic. But Amazon just announced that their new Lord of the Rings show is going to be called The Rings of Power. So we might get an answer to that question, right? <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Specifically for something as established as Lord of the Rings, one of the other things that you should really look at, and I know that especially for people who, you know, have only been playing for a little while or, you know, only have a lot of experience with just the one system, it can be definitely a little bit frightening to be like, okay, well, I am very comfortable with 5th edition. I don't want to go look at something else. But of the things that we've just named, Lord of the Rings in particular has a quite robust role-playing tabletop game system that has several editions, and it's up-to-date, it's good, and that's a great place to start if you want to try playing a Lord of the Rings story. Well, and to cut in, so the One Ring is one of those systems. The second edition of it is actually releasing right now, so Kickstarter folks who participated in it have a PDF of the rule set available to them right now, and the the books should be arriving any moment. I say that to say that you're 100% right. These systems do exist, created for that world. Yeah, I... Uh, have previously taught a class uh, that I talked about way back in episode zero as to why my opinion is worth anything. And (laughs) one of the things that I did was just go through and look at the Wikipedia article for list of role-playing game systems. It is several hundred entries. If you want to play something, there is probably a rule set that will get you really close, if not the exact thing that you're looking for. Once you have boiled it down to the why, if this, you know, if the why is, man, I just want to play Cowboys in Space, then great. You've even got your pick. You can do Edge of the Empire if you want to handle shenanigans dice. You can do the Firefly role-playing game system, which exists and is, uh, as far as I know, it's just the one book, but, like, it's a decent book. If you want to do futuristic stuff, there's tons of options there Um, if you want to do you know your traditional high fantasy or even delve into lovecraft mythos there's so many options obviously a a lot of you know the the things that we're talking about things like okay maybe dark souls doesn't have an exact grim dark fantasy i need to roll around and parry (laughs) one of the things that you should be paying attention to is as you go to pull the why do i want to play this out of something your second question after you have pulled out what you want to play is, will this be a good thing for four people for my table? Because a lot of video games are single-player experiences that super do not translate well to multiplayer. I'm imagining four players sitting uh, at the table uh, talking about how their characters are each just rolling circles around the boss. <laughs> That would be some interesting uh, interesting hitboxes. Looking at different rule sets to solve the challenge is really important. You do need to ask yourself, is what I'm trying to do better suited to a different RPG? 
and is using that different RPG more work than adapting something that I'm already familiar with? Because yeah, there there really are RPGs out there for everything. I have at least three PDF RPGs about playing houseplants, and I I'm not kidding. Why? What a great question. I haven't finished reading them. I'll get back to you in the future. No, no, no. The, no, the short answer is because someone said, I want to play as a houseplant and wrote it. That's it. Basically, yeah. Yeah, so, so you can find RPGs for basically anything. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that any minute concept that you come up with that you want to play, you have to go hunting for some new RPG to learn there does come a point where it's like, okay, I've got all of these different stories I want to tell. I don't have time to learn 20 different different RPGs, so maybe you go with something generic like Savage Worlds or GURPS or something like that, Fate, um, and then just basically adapt that game to whatever you're playing. A lot of the big things that get a lot of traction, like um, Elder Scrolls, Lord of the Rings, The Witcher, Dragon Age, those all have official RPG adaptations. They're not always fantastic, unfortunately. Sometimes they are really good, and you can steal some really cool ideas from them, even if you do not care about that setting one bit. But if you're going to play those major properties, definitely look at the official RPGs at the very least, and then you know see if they fit your taste. If not, then yeah, just... Uh, adjust something that you already know and love. So one thing I'll bring up to this is that there is an expense to this, and this is a hobby that some of us are willing to dump infinite sums of money into, and other people are uh, reasonable and financially responsible. Uh, I, I say that to say, you know, I can imagine as a DM taking some of the world building and some of the adventure that you can pull from those resources or that you can pull generally like from from the game or the media itself. But it is comfortable to bring it back and skin it on top of the game that your your group is already playing, whether that's D&D, whether that's, you know, one of the Pathfinder editions. I guess I, I, I say that to say, like, ro- rolling it back, if the adventure, if the world, if the mythos is the thing that really draws you, I do think it's perfectly fine to say, okay, look, I'm just going to skin this on top of, hey, my D&D world is Middle-earth, uh, the gods are as such, and we're going to have a good time with it, and make like the minimalist mechanical changes that you can make to make that make sense. Um, so one thing, there's probably not like a lot of sorcerers, wizards, and warlocks running around. Yeah, not, not so much. I mean, basically, if you can use magic, it's because you are a specifically named wizard and or an angel. Yeah. One of the other things, and to carry nicely off of the, this can cost a lot of money if you go trying hunting down all these systems, you can also just build one. I will also talk about a thing that happened in that class. So one of the exercises that I ran, I would ask the kids to sit down with a limited amount of resources and build a game system. The purpose of this was to actually use it as a communications exercise where I would have them in partners build a game system, write down the rules for it, and then, without telling them that I was going to do this, have them stand up, go sit down at someone else's station, and try and play the game that was in front of them. And it was basically about a, a exercise in understanding your biases and your preconceptions and how that prevents you from communicating effectively. However, some groups went really hard with this. And so a pair of my kids, they said well, okay, we couldn't really figure out what we wanted to do. And we had been just thinking about Texas Hold'em. And so they said, what if what if instead we make a role-playing game where you take narrative control for a turn by winning a hand of Texas Hold'em? Oh, and go on. What they did in the class was... It was just like, wow, that's a fascinating concept. And, you know, they, they, they only had maybe half an hour to work on that or something. But I came back. This camp happens every year when it's not a pandemic. And uh, we usually get a lot of repeat people. So I ended up as uh, the person in charge of a couple of these kids later, you know, like four years later. And I come in to check in on them in one night. And they are playing that game still that they have now written out a full rule set for about how they are 
basically just playing hold'em, but like the betting is like betting story points. And when you win the hand, you basically get to control the narrative for like a 10 second block. And it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. The rules were absolutely bare bones, but they were having a good time, which is the only thing you need to do. And it was just breathtaking to see. My point there is you can just write these. Yeah, it takes some time, but here's a pair of teenagers getting the bones down in half an hour. If you are the one trying to run your game like this, maybe it takes a few sessions of writing, but you can absolutely just make the system you want to see. Yeah, that's a really cool idea for a system. I feel like I remember um, the Greetings Adventures folks, when they used to do random encounters, they played they played a game that had kind of a similar setup, and it seemed fascinating, like the idea that you could... Uh, exactly that. Like, we're going to... Here's the setup. Here's the situation that we're in. Now, we're going to roll some dice, or we're going to have some conflict, and Hold'em is a wonderful way of resolving that, where, like, I can literally ante up and say, yes, but are you willing to risk what happens if I win the hand? And then based on that, you had to do improv to basically move the story forward to the next story point, honoring the results of, of you know, whatever competitive thing you did. Yeah, that sounds like a great time. Essentially, all you need is a conflict resolution mechanic. Like, you can tell any story with any conflict resolution mechanic. Sometimes having one that suits the style of game is really nice. Uh, I could see playing Texas Hold'em or any variety of poker being really cool for, like, a Wild West RPG. It, it was it was steampunk-themed. Well, there you go. Flawless. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. There, there are a few RPGs now that use a Jenga tower as the conflict resolution mechanic. So you pull a piece whenever you do something that's a challenge, and if the tower falls, you die. And it, it's a very intentional mechanic that you can be like, okay... I need this thing to happen, I'm going to intentionally knock over the tower. And like, depending on how you design your conflict resolution mechanic to fit into your RPG can really affect how you tell that story. Okay. But if you're comfortable with D&D or something similar, it's totally fine to just like a, a D20 roll plus modifier against target number. That is perfectly fine as a resolution mechanic. I want to go meta for a second. I had been staring for most of the night at this line that said steampunk texas hold'em and i had no idea how we were going to get there so thank you very much for actually resolving (laughs) (laughs) awesome i i want to maybe step back to the top so we talked about how to bring an adventuring world in and and quite honestly that for a lot of the worlds folks are most interested in you might be able to go find an rpg already built for that world that you are excited about But if you are going to try to put it onto a tabletop game that we know and love, and by know and love, I mean everybody at your table actually has access to resources to, you can still bring that world in, but you might have to make mechanical adjustments. And we've talked about what some of those mechanical adjustments might be. But I think taking a step back and and looking to, like, what tools are already in our toolbox and how can we help folks think through the right mechanical adjustments? That's kind of a difficult adjustment and the or a difficult challenge and the answer changes depending on what you're trying to get well that's not very satisfying i know i know so <laughs> fifth edition D and pathfinder second edition both include a lot of variant and optional rules in the core rule books and starting from there is actually a really really good idea because the optional rules that they chose to include specifically are to cater to different styles of games. Like, let's say you you want to play a samurai-inspired court politics and honor or a big card of the game, 5th edition D&D has a variant rule in it for honor as an ability score, and you just throw that in, make a few other adjustments, maybe, and then, yeah, there you go. You've got something that fits the theme. PF2 and 5th edition both have sanity and horror rules that work great for a horror game. If you want to do more of an emphasis on, like, Cthulhu mythos, that would work. If you want to do something like Darkest Dungeon, throwing in those sanity rules could work. Now, of course, the official published variants might not exactly do what you want. So yeah, take a look at them, maybe take them as as they are, maybe just take them as inspiration and make your own adjustments. But starting from just those official published variants does give you a lot of like pre-tested tools in the toolbox to solve these challenges. Yeah, I'm I'm just imagining taking Darkest Dungeon to 
D&D 5e, like, what would I do as a DM? I would come as a, come in as a DM. I would have a stack of character sheets, and I would shuffle them and then hand them out to the characters and say, hey, we're going in. Hey, that, I would play that game. That sounds suspiciously like something we've talked about. Hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah it, it'd be cool right because like you you go you have your adventure where it's just like i i go in i get out i find i don't know flags and busts and stuff and uh you kind sir are going to go sit at the bar and have a drink and you are going to go enjoy some gentle flagellation until you feel better about things if, if you haven't played that game real weird like they basically have like canonized the beatings will continue until morale improves. <laughs> yes. People like Darkest Dungeon for good reason. It's a really fun RPG with some cool mechanics. And yeah, you can adapt that to D&D just using those official variants, like I suggested. You can throw the sanity rules on there just fine. And then like, if you want to simulate the rotating cast of adventurers yeah shuffling a stack of character sheets that are maybe randomly generated that works too or you can build your own characters and just like these characters have gone on adventures one of them failed the sanity role so they can't go on the next x adventures so you have to have a rotating stable of characters so in a lot of ways that would feel kind of like a west marches game in that you've got a rotating cast every session but it's not because like real world players are, are unavailable it's because your character is off having a crazy time. The character is literally unavailable. One of the last things that I want to touch on before we start digging into the, some of the real, real nitty gritty of stuff. There is a RPG system that I found recently that is actually explicitly designed for importing other media. It is called Dot Dungeon. It is preposterously hard to Google because the name of it is literally just a period and then the word dungeon which Google does not like. You can find there's a, I think it's the Verge article that we'll link in the show notes. And the thing is, it is functionally just a conflict resolution system, and that's it. And then it's basically on you to import whatever you want. I've gotten to play a couple uh, sessions of this over the last month, and it's a great time. It, It really heavily relies on your capacity to improvise or spending a lot of time writing your world down ahead of time because there's a grand total of three published I can't even say modules because they're 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 very short but the system itself is meant to be augmented reality the whole premise is that your players are not their characters your players are themselves logging into a video game where they play as characters. There is actually a lot of meta stuff that goes into the system, like if you are a mage, part of being a mage is that you bring a book to the session, and that is your spell book, and it is on you to highlight passages in the book and prepare three of, prepare three of them as your spells for the day. And when you cast the spell your game master adjudicates what it does, and then you cross it out and you can never use it again. If you play as the witch class, you get bonuses based on the piercings and tattoos you have. If you... Uh, pl- literally? Yes, literally. This is okay. wonderful. Yes. I love this the moment <laughs> I read it. You can go buy the PDF. Uh, it's on the creator's itch.io. There's also a small number of copies of the PDF uh, that were just made available free on a website. Uh, if you uh, you know can't afford it because it was like a Kickstarter goal that got met, so uh, that's the thing too. But honestly, like it, one of the things that it first calls out is this is explicitly for you to bring in other media. The overarching world is like a D20 shape. And each facet of the D20 is intended to be, like, a different setting. You know, it basically says just anytime you come across a challenge, you figure out, how am I going to import this? What value is it worth and what die should I assign to it? I walked three people who had never played it before through character creation in 30 minutes. The the only part that was hard was having my mage pick his spells. And, of course, he went to Name of the Wind, so, you know, literal magic anyway. It really is... 
an amazing thing if you are someone who does have this like man i just i want to play this story from a 40 year old book that no one else has ever heard of and no one is possibly going to adapt and i can't find anything like it try it out dungeon it's really good Okay, we will have a link to in the show notes. That sounds cool. Yeah, I'm imagining somebody pulling out their biology textbooks like the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> DM, what do? Oh, man. That might be worse than adjudicating wish. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you wanted. What's supposed to happen? All right, so I think we've each prepared something special for one another and for you, and I think it's time that we get to that, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so so basically what we're going to do here is we're going to eat our own dog food. We're going to try out our own advice. I, I see random giggling and Randall not even responding. It's a software development term. <laughs> dog fooding, quote unquote. <laughs> you eat your own dog food to make sure it's not terrible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, have, I have this new service that solves this problem that we've been facing, so I built it to solve the problem for ourselves. You know a great way to see what you do before you release it to production? Does it actually solve your problem? Yeah. Yeah, dog fooding. It's a real thing. We'll have a link in the show notes. <laughs> to dog fooding, yes. Also to dog food. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining Google crawling through and saying, this is just the Wikipedia page for dog food. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> so we have each picked a, a piece of media to adapt to a tabletop RPG. And the fun part is... None of us have told the other two what they are. So we're going to we're going to do one at a time, I figure. And we'll go through one and then rotate. Uh any volunteers to go first who aren't me. All right, uh, Randall. I, yeah, I raised my hand. I want to go first to get it out of the way. This is a good strategy for anybody at home, like if you're still going through school, just if you rip the band-aid off, like you set the bar. And if somebody else does great later, yeah, you won't look like a complete idiot. I I'll be clear, we also didn't set requirements for one another. I'm very excited about this, though. Uh, so it came up earlier, and I've actually been thinking about this for a while. I wanted to do Dark Souls or Souls-like game uh, because there is nothing more frustrating than making it further and further into a game, figuring out the strategy that it takes, surviving by the skin of your teeth to get a little bit further, a little bit further, hoping you're going to find a bonfire. And then, then a skeleton getting... kicks you off a cliff. Yeah, and then when you revive, you take three more steps, get hit once, and you are dead, and you have lost everything. That is frustrating, right? Like, that's it's fun. And I remember the first time that I beat Dark Souls 3, it was just one of these, like, it's over. It's over. The kids came in, and the kids were like, is, is it over? It's over. It was a relief. I didn't, I didn't even feel happy. Daddy it is wasn't free. Like I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll tell a little more than I should. So... I played Dark Souls while I ran on a treadmill. So I was just suffering in every direction. Wow, that is uh, I I'm gonna add it I'm gonna add a sixth Y to that. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I needed to multitask, right? Yeah. <laughs> running yeah. running takes a long time yeah. if you're gonna do anything worth doing. But anyway, uh, so Dark Souls. Dark Souls was super exciting to me. And I thought that it would be a lot of fun for this assignment that we put together for each other. So I'm going to make the argument we could actually do this with 5e or with Pathfinder 2. And I think I they would see. both have, yeah, they, they both have their merits um, for, for how you go. So the actual Dark Souls thing, the picking a level is basically tied to difficulty. So the, the hardest difficulty um, I forget what, what the difficulty is called, but it's essentially like a naked dude with like a shirt, a shirt wrapped around the waist. And that's it. That's what you get. Go survive Dark Souls like that. And of course, you pick up equipment along the way, but okay, the, the magic users are slightly harder or slightly easier than that, but they're in the harder end of the difficulty. And then when you get up to like the, the folks fighting, they're, you know, they're doing fine. They're doing great. Okay, so no caster supremacy in this game. I'm hearing that as a central central focus. Exactly, yeah. It's, it's the opposite. The supremacy is that you actually managed to beat it as a caster. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that explains why I couldn't beat Dark Souls 1, because I went straight to the spellcasters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I'm saying this. This is... 
I actually haven't spent a lot of time studying the game. This was my intuition from playing, like trying a couple of different things. Uh, I think what I say is correct. If I'm wrong, uh, message me at Jack Amateur on Twitter. Tell me I'm an idiot. We'll talk about it. Okay, so here's what I think we should do. One, we are going to lower HP to the point where the typical monsters that are being fought in an area can, with a crit, one hit kill, and with no critical hit, two hit kill. Okay, so all right, so I'm going to back us up just a little bit, and we're going to follow our own advice, and I'm going to start with why. What okay, well, about I, Dark School? What about Dark Souls catches your interest that you want to bring to the tabletop? I want to have the mechanics of earning experience by killing things. So we're not in. Yeah, spoiler: we won't do <laughs> milestone leveling. We will do experience for killing things leveling. Okay, I want to introduce um, what I'm going to call graph search where I'm at a node, I'm at a bonfire, I need to do a graph search to find a new bonfire to kind of expand my region of influence before I die. Got it. Okay, so so I'm hearing that there might be a hex crawl mechanic that we could bring in. So you want to kill monsters to advance, and you want there to be danger between points of safety. Yes, and... If I, 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 yeah, the mechanic I literally want is the, if I die and I die before I recover my experience, I lose that experience. So dying is normal. And, and compared to, you know, D&D 5e or PF2, we're all going to be very comfortable dying constantly throughout a session. Got it. Okay. So that, that isn't. The dying and regaining experience is definitely hard to bring into a game like D&D or Pathfinder because gaining experience and the constant linear upward progression of power is kind of part of those games. You need to pick like a satisfying level of power where you're comfortable resetting to, which, hey, check our previous episode about one-shots. So you could say, like, yeah, I, level 5 is going to be the base level for characters, and you can advance from there, but if you die, you reset to five or whatever. Well, let me make something clear. So in, in actual Dark Souls, what happens is if you take a level, you have the level. The trick is accumulating enough experience to take the level before you lose that experience by dying twice. Does that make sense? Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, it's been a couple of years. Forgive me. No, no, that's okay. I think this <laughs> is good because this is going to make it make sense for folks at home too, right? So if you can gain enough experience that it would be enough to go to six you then need to return to a point of safety, and then you can do a trick to make the next level. I almost want to turn this into gun game instead of trying to gain levels. Gun game is a concept from Counter-Strike, where basically as you kill people, you get money, and then you use that money to buy a better gun so that you can keep killing people. Rather than increasing your level, if we say, great, your character is level 5 forever, all of the monsters that you're going to fight are appropriate challenges to one, two shot you at level five. And then you just, you know, run through all of the different ones possible. And then basically what you do is you go and you collect money as you win and you use that money to just buy better and better gear. So your character is always just going to be the same level five character. And and this is the thing, right? So as a Dark Souls character, you, you don't, really gain new capacities i mean i I guess that some there is some spell casting in in some of the 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 you do but when you level you get to pick a stat to increase each time but but i but that's just numerical i'm talking about like you don't gain a new ability you know you you don't suddenly gain the capacity i don't pick up a spell slot i don't pick up exactly and and so this is where i think if you say great i'm gonna do this by just giving you money and then having a shop where you can turn that money in for a plus one sword, a plus two sword, armor. Maybe you have like one or two carefully chosen magic items that aren't just numerical bonuses. Things that are like, I'm going to have a ring of fire resist because that sort of thing does exist in Dark Souls, last I checked. Yep, absolutely. You know, so something like that. And, and then because really the 
the only answer to how you beat big bosses in Dark Souls is just get good. There's not, you know, I'm I'm not going to go out and uh, now I have power word kill and I'm going to go power word kill the boss and laugh. Well, so there, there is a little bit of a, I'm going to talk through this and then let's come back and let's revisit the feedback that you're giving. If you you have to raise individual skills and so you might say like my intelligence goes up. The reason that you'll raise your intelligence is because a lot of features that you want to take advantage of are not available to you until you hit some minimal position in the stat. Let's see. So so part of this gets into a problem adapting video games to multiplayer tabletop RPGs. So like Skyrim, Dark Souls, etc. The main character is, in many of these games, every class. Like you have every option available to you. So the need for distinct classes like fighter, cleric, wizard, rogue, like those go away because one character is doing all of the things. In in that sense, like D&D wouldn't be a perfect adaptation for Dark Souls because the level-based progression and the class-based capabilities don't exactly match up with the Dark Souls. Like my my intelligence increased, now I can cast Fireball. Because if every character if every character in the party is like, yeah, we're all going to max our intelligence until we can fireball every encounter and then run back to the the campfire, like th- that might not quite work. It's it's a bonfire, good sir. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I I, I hear that, but that's actually that's I I want to bring it to D D five uh, E or or PF two for that matter, and and this is how I suggest we do it. So keep your classes, build a character the same way that you would build. But I want to modify the HP because I do want to make it basically where, like, yeah, you're going to get your teeth kicked in every time. I want the leveling system in whichever rule set you pick to stay the same. But I want to have this XP system that, like, when you kill monsters, you get it. And this, I, I towards the point, Random, you were making a moment ago of, like, well, what if instead it's a gun game where you earn money, you use money to buy better guns, and you get to keep the guns. Um, but if you die, you lose, if you die twice, you lose the money. What I would say is let's combine that. So you have XP, uh, and, and this is literally Souls-esque, right? I can use my Souls to buy things, but I can also use my Souls to in you know plus one my attributes. Okay, so instead, and, uh, let's let you level. Let's, instead of the Souls-like, you increase your attributes to unlock skills, let's just straight, if you pay for a level, you get to unlock the skills associated with that level. If you want to spend your income multi-classes and you certainly can but you're not going to hit your peak and if instead you think it's more valuable to buy a ring of fire protection than it is to take a level at this particular point in the game you're going to blow a lot of money and i sure hope you don't get stuck because you you know you don't have the right skills to get past a particular thing they're going after next that's one of the other things that this brings up is any system like that you're going to have a real hard time with multiple players at the party because you know if you have somebody who has died a bunch and they're just two, three levels behind in an area where things are two-shotting players who are on level, they're just going to get one shot every time. And maybe somebody has fun with that, but that's going to be rough. So actually, I think this would be super exciting. Like if you have a good group of people who want to cooperate together, real quick, let's talk about death. If you get a TPK the whole party is returned to the most recent bonfire that they checked in at. Okay. If one character dies, but not everybody, those players go on, but socially they are encouraged to return to the nearest bonfire to retrieve their dead friend. Now imagine the escort mission of anybody else can die, but we cannot let this one person die because if they do, they're literally going to lose two levels worth of XP because we were idiots and we forgot to go back and actually take it. Like, I think that would be a lot of fun. Like this whole, like, we have to keep them up. We have to keep them up no matter what to the point where, okay, Estus flasks are a huge part of the game. I want to let you use an Estus flask as a bonus action, which will restore most of your HP. Um, And the way the game is, is leveled, you find these things to add the amount of uh, HP that an Estus Flask gives you back, and you also get more Estus Flasks over time. I think absolutely cooperate that or, or copy that. But it then becomes this thing of, like, I have been hit this turn. If I get hit again next turn, I will die. So in lieu of doing anything else, like anything that potentially would add additional damage, 
I have to take my Estes flask or risk dying in the next moment. I could see, like, you could just make the Estes flask just use your hit dice. Like, that That wouldn't even change the mechanics of 5e all that much. 100%. Except for you'd be able to use them, I'm going to argue you, should be, you have to be able to use them in combat. Yeah. So that's probably the only mechanical change, right? Is yeah, you have your hit dice. And then that gives you the, uh, like, the Estus Flask is limited in capacity and recharges when you hit a bonfire. So, like, your bonfire is your long rest, which resets your hit dice. So, yeah, just bonus action, drink a hit die. Or maybe multiple hit die if that's what you want it to be. I know. I love that. I think that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, so, yes, and recognize, though, that when you hit a bonfire, just like in a Souls game... All of the monsters you've been fighting come back. Yeah, that. So that specific part in a D and D game might get to be a pain. Like in, that's a good point, and I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, like it's it is like okay, I just fought those two goblins, and it took us twenty minutes to get through that combat, and now because I've used a bonfire, I actually have to go back through it again. I think. So one would just be finding ways to speed up combat. I think one good answer would be let also lower the HP of the monsters. So they're brutal. They can deal a ton of damage, but half the party can can take actions and, and take these creatures out. Uh, and then you might have to play some games with initiative to just make sure that everybody's getting in, in on the action. Because the spirit of it would be that you'd be moving through this dungeon pretty quickly. Right, so everything's a glass cannon, basically. 100%. Yeah, that's a that's a perfect way of putting it. I want to bring one more thing into this that I want to honor from Souls, and at that point I'm going to hand the keys over to then go to one of the other games. Uh, so I think everybody who's ever played the game understands one of the critical mechanics is rolling. <laughs> uh, rolling. I want to give another action that can be taken as a bonus action... On your turn. Actually, we should talk about this. Is it a bonus? <laughs> let's address it. Bonus I want action to dodge. I, well, I, uh, let's talk. <laughs> I, I want to give you a roll action, whether it be a bonus action or I have, an, I have an, another offer. I want to see what you say to it. And what I want to do with this is impose disadvantage on any attack and impose advantage on any saving throw on the character's behalf. If you roll at the end of your turn. Okay, but then what is the cost of doing that? So, good. This is We should talk through it. Bonus action, I think, is pretty obvious. And I think I want to I table that for a second. The other thing I could imagine doing, which is more in the spirit of how it actually happens in Souls, is half of your movement. So, you can roll, which will consume all of your movement. And you can only move half your movement. And maybe with certain classes, like classes that don't wear heavy armor, I might allow you to move your entire movement, but with a roll. I immediately find that not punishing enough. Yeah. That I, like Honestly, I mean, if you're going to add the benefits of, and also you get advantage on all of your saves, that should just be your action. And even if you compare that to souls, if you have one guy up front rolling around tanking the boss while other people are DPSing, that's a thing that a multiplayer environment is going to allow you can't attack while you're rolling. Okay, I, I have a counteroffer. What if it's bonus action plus everything I said about ac- uh, movement? So, so you have to take action. a bonus action to use half your motion as a roll to get the advantage disadvantage. That's st- that's still pretty light. Like you can build a fighter without using your bonus action once in your entire career. But now it's competing with your use of Estus Flask. So if you do get hit, are you going to heal? Or are you going to try to roll away? But here's the problem, is if you if you keep it at a bonus action, and technically speaking, if you keep either of them at a bonus action, you can do both in a turn. You just don't attack. That's fair. But, I mean, that's, that's still, that's giving up something in the action economy. That is a really good point, though. I want to add one more piece to this. This is actually just occurring to me as we're talking through it live. Do you think it makes sense for monsters to have the ability to attack either between every turn or, I don't know, maybe every other turn, something like this? Well, we're, we're putting ba- you know, Band-Aids and duct tape <laughs> on top of this thing to make it work. I, I think that probably the only way to make it interestingly challenging for a group is to always have them fighting a group of at least equal numbers. Okay. Yeah, I, I think, think that, that that's, not hard to, that's not hard to hit. 
Okay. I mean, if you're facing big solo monsters, that's what legendary actions are for in 5e. Like, it's specifically so that the monsters are attacking after basically every player's turn. Yep. Okay. I, that makes sense. And so maybe, again, like, the, the, the duct tape would be if you do have single monsters that you want them to fight for whatever reason, give them le- legendary actions. Like, have a – we should maybe write up a view, a small fixed set of legendary actions that makes sense to just add to creatures of type X, type Y. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy in. All right, so I'm going to post the question. We've laid it out. Would you two folks play this game? I'd give it a try. I want to see where the, the like, dodge roll mechanic, like, that might take some refinement. But, I mean, yeah, if you're homebrewing anything, it's always going to take refinement. But, yeah, I'd give it a try. As someone who does not enjoy Souls-likes, I probably would not. That sort of slog is not my jam. And uh, I recently went through um, Jedi Fallen Order, uh, which is the most Souls-like thing I've ever played, and is probably still only like a three on a scale of one to Dark Souls. <laughs> Even that was definitely frustrating at times. Okay, I feel like that response also feels like a positive vote for what I'm offering you. So I feel good about this, actually. Exactly. All right, uh, who wants to go next? I will. with that, we will conclude the first part of our two-part series on adapting media to tabletop gaming. The second part is waiting in your feed right now. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. 